Warning! This episode of The Secret Cinema contains discussions of disturbing and adult content. So, heads up! You're a wreck, Brian. You've got to relax. Why don't you put me on your neck and calm down? No way! It's not going to happen again! What is it? Killing people! Oh, <laughs> I thought you meant getting high. We can't keep killing people every time you're hungry! Oh, yes, we can. We'll do anything I want us to do. You're mine now, Brian. I own you. Secret Cinema! Secret Cinema! Secret Cinema! Secret Cinema! Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Secret Cinema, a podcast where we watch and hope to learn from obscure, underappreciated, and utterly inexplicable films. My name is Paolo Carone, and I host this podcast alongside Carrie Chafee and whoever else we can rope in each week. On today's episode, we're discussing Frank Henenlotter's 1988 opus, Brain Damage, and we'll be joined by our good friend Wade. I don't have much on the way of notes for this episode, so I just want to give some quick context for our opening clip. What you heard was a conversation between our protagonist, Brian, and the antagonist, Aylmer, and I thought it would be useful to provide an example of Aylmer's goofy voice, as well as the less-than-subtle drug metaphors, so you could have some added context for our discussion. I'm going to play one more sample from the film before we dive in, but first, here's Carrie with a quick synopsis. Brian, a 20-something living in New York City with his brother Mike, becomes the unwilling host of a small yet horrific creature named Aylmer. Aylmer befriends Brian by injecting a blue liquid into his brain, causing Brian to hallucinate. While Brian trips around the city, Aylmer eats the brains of anyone unlucky enough to run into them. Their relationship causes Brian to lose his girlfriend Barbara and draws the attention of Aylmer's previous owners, Morris and Martha, who are desperate to get Aylmer back. Soon, Brian realizes the predicament he's in, but will he be able to escape? Now, this second clip is of Barbara's monologue to Rick from very late into the film. We talk about this clip in our discussion, so here it is for context. As a quick side note, this clip edits out some purely visual elements of the scene, and the strange noises that interrupt Barbara, what sounds like fart noises, are Aylmer trying to climb out of Rick's throat and attack Barbara when she turns away. Anyway, here's that clip. Brian, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to look at me. Listen to me, please. I know you're in trouble. I know something's happened to you. I know you need help. I just, I just... Jesus, Brian. I thought you and I were having trouble with our relationship. I didn't think you'd be talking about getting killed or killing someone or... I can understand you being upset with me. I realize we have some problems with our relationship. But first, Brian, first, you need help. I've never seen anyone change as drastically and as suddenly as you have. You're like a total stranger to me now, and I'll be damned if I'm gonna just walk off and let you rot away. I can't sit by and watch you disintegrate. Brian, you're telling me you're gonna kill someone, and you don't even realize you're killing yourself. I wish I knew what to say to get through to you. I don't want anything to happen to you. I was mad before. I was angry. But that was because I thought you were gone. I don't want to lose you, Brian. I don't lose you. And now, our discussion of brain damage. 
So on today's episode, we have a guest. Uh, do you Yay, like to introduce guest. yourself? Special Hi, guest. I'm Wade. Friends. Hello. <laughs> Glad to have you, Wade. All right, Wade, so. you have the honor of being our first guest. Yeah. <laughs> it's a distinction I embrace. <laughs> and the lucky honor of watching this movie. Yeah. It's <laughs> one of a kind. So, yeah, what did you think overall? What do you think of Brain Damage? I remember we watched, look, we all watched this a while ago, like maybe over a year ago. And I remember at the time just being kind of like disgusted and shocked. <laughs> by the yeah, movie. I remember you being really upset. Like, afterwards. I had a really visceral reaction <laughs> to many parts of the movie. Uh, but this time I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, it's, uh, there's a certain like glee. With which everything is done. Yeah. Movie, I think. Cause it's not really a horror movie, really, because I really like horror movies. Mm. Um, it's more just like shocking and. Do you think that's why you didn't like it the first time? Is because you thought of it as a horror movie? Yeah, I don't like horror movies because I always identify with the pain of the victims too intensely. Oh, yeah. And so I just like, I just kind of recoil in horror. I mean, this is, that's the point. <laughs> um, but this time, I, I mean, I, I know everything that's going to happen, and I guess I'm just more. I have a better perspective on the violence that's in the movie, which is so ridiculous. Um, that was just more enjoyable and just silly. You were prepared. I was for, very prepared for the gross factors. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff to catch you off guard. <laughs> this one. What do you think, Paolo? I love it. I mean, I, I'm the one who introduced you to this movie because my I watched it with my uncle when I was like 12 years old. It just like <laughs> always stuck with me, and um, yeah, I've just been like really trying to bring it back and get it into, like, every circle I get involved in. I love it. It's, like, it's, it's, it's clearly, like, a clumsily made movie, and yeah. it's, it's, it's not high art or anything, but it's, in terms of entertainment value and, like, spending 80 minutes in watching a movie, it's, like, as jam-packed with memorable, interesting things <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as I could hope for, like, a I trashy agree. movie. You're still that 12-year-old who was going around to his friends, like, Hey, I found this cool thing. <laughs> Will you watch it with me? <laughs> yeah, that's. I made friends in high school by being like, "Hey, I saw this movie called Videodrome, and this guy has like a vagina in his stomach. They put videotapes on it." I made so many friends. That so way. popular. <laughs> you were the weirdo in high yeah. school. Well, what did you think about it? I remember you saying before that you were pretty neutral in, in terms of your memory on it. Yeah, okay, so I I did like it a lot more this time, and I think part of that is watching it with people who've seen it before, you can riff on it more, and I also, again, like, like Wade said, I knew what was coming, so I was prepared, and I knew when to kind of look away when I knew I was going to be grossed out, but at the same time, this isn't really a movie I would want to watch a lot. You know, oh, it's man. it's not a movie where I'm like, you know, I think I really want to watch Brain Damage. <laughs> it's not comfort food. No. no, it's 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 really gross, and it's not that the gross is bad because I think it works well in the movie. It's, well, yeah, the, the movie has a budget. You can tell. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I looked it up, and it said that the estimated budget was a little under a million dollars. Oh wow! Which is amazing. They did a lot with that. Yeah, and that's <laughs> crazy too because the guy who directed this, his first movie. Basket case, the budget was $35,000. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> Which is, and this is like his. Did he make this? He made Basket Case, then maybe we can talk about his. Yeah, his, yeah. His series. So the later. director's name is Frank Henenlotter, and uh, 
This movie came out in 1982, and then... Or no! Basket Case came out Basket in 1982. Basket Case came out in 1982, and this movie came out in 1988. Yeah, and then... So six years later. And then between, he made Frankenhooker. No! Right? Frankenhooker right. came out after. Yeah, in 1990. Wow. Yeah, and so... But Frankenhooker looks worse. Yeah, it's because it's cheaper. It's like... It's, it's yeah. very cheap. He, I, my theory is just that he got the big cult boost from Basket Case, because Basket Case is such an oddity... And it's, that's like, because the movie is, is terribly made, it looks bad, the oh, acting's yeah. bad, the lighting's bad, there's the all set those design is bad. There's all those scenes where he's, like, in a, uh, like, a hotel room or something, yeah. and, and the main character's there with the basket, and yeah. then that's it. That's, it's, like, the whole <laughs> scene. It's, they're, like, it's like a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie in terms of just being, like, you want to see, you want to see something, and you don't give a shit about the quality, you're just there for gore. Like, but <laughs> it at least capitalizes on that by putting all of its effort into having the weirdest possible gore and through line and then having it have like emotional elements to it it's not just pure violence it's like this weird sibling relationship that no no other movie not even now if they made like if there was like a Hollywood version of Basket Case, the first thing they would write out is the loving relationship, and they would just make it right. a, a monster. Because it's a very, it's yeah. very sentimental yeah. The yeah. relationship between the well, the and even in, in Brain Damage, the the relationship between Aylmer, Ail, it's Aylmer, it's Aylmer. I don't know why it says it says Elmer in the end credits, but they even spell it out in the movie. As yeah, and I don't know why they needed to specify the spelling of the monster's name, but. <laughs> The uh, the relationship between Brian and Elmer at times is like kind of sweet, like oh I'll do this for you and you'll do this for me. I don't know if it's sweet. Well, <laughs> there's yeah. a certain camaraderie. There's like a they're both resigned to their roles in this relationship. And there's yeah. there's elements of sweetness um, in terms of the relationships. It's stuff we'll get into later because I don't want to dive too far ahead in the plot. But also in like Basket Case too, because Frankenhooker has. Oh, the only sentimentality in Frankenhooker is that he loves his girlfriend and he wants her back. Right. But in yeah. Basket Case right. 2, Basket Case 2 has, like, a, the entire plot is about, like, accepting people who are different and that these people who you treat like freaks are people, too, and they deserve love and happiness. And it's, like, really super progressive and positive <laughs> to the point where Basket Case 2 is not even fun to watch because it's so nice. It's so friendly It's and too sweet. nice to be in a horror movie. Yeah, and then Basket Case 3... Belial, the monster from the first two, he has a baby with female Belial, and that's what, that's what it's about. Yeah. Where did they meet female Belial? That's in Basket Case Two. He meets female Belial, and actually, there's a sex scene between them. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah, sorry. Spoilers. 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 <laughs> well, we we do spoil some things. Yeah, we're, it's gonna happen. Podcast. Yeah. I mean, we're gonna tell them what happens in Brain Damage. <laughs> yeah. Sorry well. ahead of time, everybody. <laughs> but. uh... Going back to what I was saying about um, watching this movie, I I do I am glad we watched this movie again. I've seen this movie now like three or four times, and I think every time I watch it, I like it more. But again, I it's not really a movie I would seek out to watch. It's not something that I'm like, oh, you know what I'm really in the mood for? Brain damage. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of would though. Like, it's yeah, like really, it seems right for you. Because, I, I mean, you heard me during the movie. I was laughing hysterically. I've seen this so many times. It's been in my life for, like, more than half of my life. It's yeah. been a movie that where I still laugh, like, 
I probably laughed out loud like 25 times during this movie. <laughs> That's like a really good ratio for a fourth or fifth viewing, whatever I'm on. Yeah. And so, yeah. This, like, maybe this movie is your kindred spirit because you are as old as this movie. That's true. That's 88. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a good year. Well, it's like, it's not just, it, the movie is bad. In certain very obvious ways. Oh, yeah. It's like the acting's atrocious kind of throughout. Oh, you know? yeah. And there are certain scenes that are just, you just kind of, you know, tilt your head at <laughs> you just wonder, you know, what was he thinking? There's you a long it. tracking shot, which has no purpose. There's, yeah, there's like a, the pacing between scenes. There's a lot of weird filler, and because we just all watched Superfly a couple days ago, I just kept comparing it to how... Superfly, when it needs to fill time, it just shows people walking in <laughs> the car, and it does it so much. But it plays good music. It plays great music, but it's it's just like it's so it's like fifty percent of the movie is filler. Yeah, and it, like, right, right, really right. becomes clear. But in this, there is that same filler, and it doesn't define as much of the movie. But it also is weird filler. It's never just. I mean, besides that long tracking shot of him walking, it's always. Like when he's in the club and he's just jumping up and down on drugs and you just like or watch the, his face. Or the bad fade outs. Yeah, the fade outs. <laughs> There's like one shot where the the where the girl where Barbara is about to get on the subway and then it just like does like a weird like elevator door spin transition <laughs> to her going on the subway. True. <laughs> That's true. You touching um, on Superfly uh, made me want to bring up this quote I found from the director. So he said that he never feels like he makes horror films. He always feels right. like he makes exploitation right. films. Which I think is very true. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not a scary movie. No. And even though no. like I'm squeamish and whatnot, it's, a, it's it's not a movie that's meant to scare anyone. Yeah. Very obvious. Yeah. Um, and, it's not a shock. Yeah. Like, and, it's an exploitation film shit. And even like with some of the filler, uh, one of the things that kind of works as filler is a lot of the effect shots... But, I mean, frankly, if you're going to watch this type of movie, you want to see those effect shots, and you might as well waste time by showing us, like, brains coming <laughs> as <laughs> many times as possible. <laughs> I'd rather see that than, like, the just... Blue yeah, than him, like, he's walking to another Right, movie. right, now I'm entering the club. <laughs> yeah, so there are parts of the movie where the monster, Aylmer, he inserts his little tongue? It's like it's proboscis. Hy hyperbolic proboscis. Yeah. His, yeah. his needle, needle tonsils or well, something? Wait, okay, let's talk about Elmer. Because no one who's yeah. listening to this has seen right. Elmer. Yeah, so, okay, <laughs> where to begin with the monster of this movie? Elmer is, when you first see it, he's like, I mean, the best way it can be described is it looks like a big turd. It looks like a big, yeah. like, like a bluish He's turd. like a, a giant, bumpy dildo. That's good. Because yeah, I think too. that the phallic aspect of his creature yeah. design is, is, is very important. We'll get to that later. But he's got, he's got like almost a Muppet smile. Yeah, and he has those like <laughs> very little, kind. very human yeah. eyes right. too. With like yeah. a clear brow Little ridge. tiny eyes and then his mouth opens up into a smile. But then when his mouth really opens up, it expands and this little tiny... It's like a meat. comic amount of teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, like, it's really good creature design. Yeah. Because I yeah. think when he first appears, he's kind of creepy. But he has those like little kind eyes <laughs> and this little nice little smile. Yeah, at first you're like, 
am I afraid of this? Right, but I don't, I don't know. know. Really, it's a little creepy and slimy, but it's fine. And then, you know, you watch the movie and it becomes very apparent that he's this horrific <laughs> monster. <laughs> and he's got this very welcoming voice. Wait, and back to what you were saying about he doesn't make horror movies. I think that's like the... F- it happened... It, Elmer's introduced pretty early in the movie, and so right away, as soon as he talks, there's no way it can be a horror movie. It's yeah. Just, as you described, he sounds like he sounds like Santa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the he's the Santa to Bing Crosby's snowman and all of those. A little bit. A little Bing movies. Crosby, a little Jimmy Stewart in that uh-huh. voice, I think. Very it's, comforting. It's, it's like very... it's like a voice you'd hear on the radio at two in the morning. It's it's the fifties sitcom dad. Well and yeah, it, it is a radio it is a, a radio host. Oh, oh really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't remember that, where, where I saw that, but it's yeah, it's a guy who was like a, a local radio personality. Okay. And they're that like, makes we, sense. we gotta get this New York personality money in our movie. <laughs> yeah, well, and so going back to Aylmer, like I mentioned earlier, he's got this blue sticky thing that comes out of his mouth that is uh, his gateway to giving the human Brian. drugs. Or Brian yeah. drugs. Or, I guess it's not clear if it's drugs, but it's, it's drugs. It's drugs. <laughs> yeah, Even in the movie, the first obvious subtext of the movie is is, is drug it's addiction. Drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything. I was going through the whole movie trying to like write down every way in which it evokes drug and addiction metaphors, and it's almost to like a line by line basis. Yeah. Everything in this movie is about drug addiction. Well, and even the first, yeah. the first time that Brian has the drugs from Elmer, he's like, oh, I don't feel so good. I guess I have to stay at home. Yeah, that's right. that's definitely a drug right. a drug yeah. thing. Um, but so when Elmer gives Brian the drugs, what happens is he puts this little uh, needle like into tongue, his... Needle tongue. Yeah, something. needle tongue yeah. into the back of his neck, and all of a sudden the you see this blue liquid... Pour over Brian's brain. Yeah, it cuts to a close-up right. of his brain. Right, right. You're not doing the shot justice. <laughs> yeah, so, so, someone explain it. So first, I mean, Aylmer climbs onto the neck of his victim slash host. Yeah, this blue turn. And so at this point, when you first, so let's back up a little bit more. When you're first introduced to Aylmer, as we said, he has this kind smile and these eyes. Um, he convinces Brian, the host, to let him administer this drug to him again. He feels so good and blah, blah, blah. So he climbs up that was a pretty neck. close. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty close. Elmer <laughs> impersonation. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, he climbs up onto his neck, and the kind little smile reveals itself to be this gaping maw of teeth, <laughs> which Brian never sees because he is on his neck. <laughs> yep. Um, I think that's very a very pointed like misdirection. <laughs> um, extends his needle tongue into the neck, and then there's a further close-up in the movie of the brain of his <laughs> And the and needle, needle coming, tongue yeah. coming through the back of his skull <laughs> and squirting little drops of blue electric liquid. I, yeah. I kept calling it blue sploosh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really well-paced. It, like, it returns to the shot over and over again throughout the movie, mm-hmm. and whenever it does so, it's like, 
the time stops in the movie and everything mm-hmm. slows down. Well, and, and when the moment. when the blue sploosh hits his brain, there's all these electrical charges right. that come out. It's kind of like the movie's Requiem for a Dream shot, where like whenever they do heroin, <laughs> they have like the eye, the pupil dilating and the blood cells. It is. It is. It's it's the Pavlovian touchstone. Yeah. The movie. <laughs> um. It's. It's the continuation throughout the Indeed. whole movie. Yes. Yeah. The, well, and after that happens, Brian then loses his shit. And he's like, whoa, what's happening? I can hear the colors. Yeah. There's that great <laughs> moment when he's like, he's running around the city uh, tripping. And he, he says, oh my God, wow. And it's just a junkyard. <laughs> like, you don't see when you see, you just like, broken down cars and he's just wide-eyed running around looking at everything so excited <laughs> well and the weird thing is I, I thought it was kind of strange that as soon as brian gets the drug aylmer disappears like he just doesn't exist it's all about brian's experience which again goes back to the drug metaphor where right, right, right. where aylmer only shows up when it's like hey it's time for more drugs right. <laughs> or it's time to murder somebody right like the unsightly <laughs> parts of drug addiction yeah vanish as soon as like the high starts yeah yep um, so maybe we should talk about aylmer's purpose in, in latching on to yeah okay well i mean Aylmer, it's a symbiotic relationship, uh, and also at the beginning, it's we see the way we're brought into the story is we're seeing Aylmer's original owners, who are this this old couple that lives in Brian's apartment building. Um, they lose him, and at some and point, they have an unexplained collection of African masks. Yeah, all that, over their the opening credits is very all, strange. And I was watching it, and I was like, "Hmm, is there like a weird racist subject?" That's why I, <laughs> I, I was first note I made. <laughs> thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, it's just an inexplicable choice. <laughs> I think what they Good were ideas. trying to suggest is maybe that couple are anthropologists of some kind and they collected Aylmer on their explorations of the world. I agree. I think that's what's... Because later there's also a terrible bit of exposition by this older man about the origins of Aylmer. (laughs) Back he was in Berlin for a while. This is important. Reappears in Spain in 38 or whatever. (laughs) But but during that first scene, they're... uh, They... they, uh, the, The woman comes home and she has like a big like a deli bag full of brains. Ca- calf brains, presumably. <laughs> and she puts one on a plate and puts like a parsley leaf on it. Uh, and like brings... She is so excited about that parsley yeah. leaf. It's she just, just like, can't like, wait. Yeah, just puts it right on there and they have like a good beautifully framed shot of where it's set on there. And they they bring the they go to bring the brain to Elmer and he's gone. And so but essentially, once he hooks up with Brian, you see the deal is that he gives him drugs, and as a trade-off, he takes him to brains, or, uh, like, basically, he allows he, Aylmer to travel around unseen yeah, to get to brains. He gets so high that he doesn't know what's going on, and he can take be the vehicle that Aylmer uses yeah. to get to... And at least in the early going, the metaphor is clearly, like like, c- becoming a criminal for drugs. Like, to, right. to feed your right. fix. Right. And, uh, and so it's, yeah, it's, like, when he kills the security guard at the junkyard, and he's just, uh, just, <laughs> like, tripping out there. Um, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it starts with people he doesn't know, and then the more he's doing it, it gets to people who are closer and closer to him. 
in the way that like right. your addiction begins to affect your right. family and those close to you bleeds like, into other aspects yeah you can't and, hide it yeah. right, right not to mention the very the fact that elmer literally eats brains he doesn't eat anything else <laughs> And he is drugs. Elmer is drugs. <laughs> and so drugs eat your brain. The metaphor is literal. <laughs> it's so literal. Almost, I mean, like, not quite, but it, yes. Almost. <laughs> yeah. Um, so much of the movie is very on point like that. When people use Elmer, uh, they lock people out, literally. Like, everything, <laughs> yes. the door is suddenly oh, a tons of right. locks on them. Like a long scene <laughs> explaining that. He's put all yeah. these new locks into the house. He locks them in the bathroom. <laughs> How weird. I didn't think about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and there's, um, God, what else? Uh, well, even just down to, like, jumping ahead again, but, like, when, um, when the girlfriend, when Barbara dies in the end, uh, she does, it's, it's, it seems, like, almost like they're setting up, like, she's gonna die because, spoiler alert, she sleeps with, uh, Brian's brother, Mike, right. but oh he doesn't my. care. He doesn't, it's not like a, it's not a vengeful it's because killing. because he's on drugs. But it's because <laughs> she doesn't leave him. And the movie is that anti-drug, essentially, where it's saying, like, she should have just stayed with the brother if she was, if she wasn't <laughs> still in love with this guy, she'd be alive. Because oh. remember, during that scene, she's saying, like, when, Drugs will not only destroy you, yeah. but your loved ones. Right, right. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. It's just like, and it's really, it's like, for an exploitation movie that, like, luxuriates in gore and, like, crude <laughs> sexuality, it's really anti-drug. It's a hilariously anti-drug. Yeah. <laughs> it's very weird. Is that a theme in any of his other movies? The anti-drug? Well, I guess, like, like a, a very wholesome themes, right? Like, yeah. Uh, basket Case... Yeah, basket, basket case. Right. Well, and even in one, it's the idea of like they're the 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 Siam, they're Siamese twin brothers, and people are like, we have to get this freakish thing off of him, and they're getting revenge for sep like for separating brothers, and it's like <laughs> like what, so, like that it comes they're just two brothers, and he like yeah, two brothers, <laughs> <laughs> they, but he carries he carries his brother around with him, and they have like this extremely like they have a close relationship, and he throws hot dogs in the basket to feed him and stuff like that. But yeah, it's he always has like some sort of sentimental theme. And even Frankenhooker, which is probably the least sentimental of his movies, yeah, it's the whole plot is driven on like my girlfriend died, I'll do anything to get her back. So it's it's Frankenstein. But even still, it's Frankenstein's premise has like an emotional core to it. That's and true. Yeah. Frankenhooker is is probably the most Egregious, just yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, we you, you can't, another podcast. You can't talk about You can't earn your Bill Murray quote on your DVD cover without going <laughs> overboard. <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about this like kind of dichotomy, at least specifically in this movie, um, and if it's just like if that dissonance works for you, the fact that it's like it's like it's. It's a very 80s... It's an 80s movie. Yes. You know, it's, it's such yeah. an 80s movie. It's yes. like a Reagan-era America 80s movie. Everyone's like, wearing a jean jacket. <laughs> well, in that respect, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, and this is the fact that it's, like, extremely anti-drug. Yeah. It's very, like, shaming. Like, morally, it's, like, got a lesson. Like, don't do this. Yeah. Or else these horrible things happen, and there's not really much black and... Or, Gray areas. Yeah, there's no bad. there's no complimentary portrait of Drew. No, no, there's <laughs> not. There's not. But also, just yeah, like, there's even a scene where Brian is throwing up on a radiator. <laughs> well, well, I'm trying to think one of some of the lines when he's trying like, to withdraw from Hamlet. He's like, like "You're not gonna get the best of me," and then 
drugs gets the best of him. Well, yeah, I'm curious, like, so, like, there's this, like, there's this, I guess, ostensibly very wholesome message to the movie. But as you said, throughout, <laughs> it's, it revels in <laughs> gore. I mean, there are extended scenes where Aylmer is literally ripping brains <laughs> out of the skulls of his victims. Well, and none of his victims know that they can touch Aylmer. Yeah, They're as soon all... as Aylmer touches you, your hands just <laughs> flail outward from your body. <laughs> Or if you're a woman, they just like lightly pad the man that is near them. <laughs> well, it's, it's so. How do you think? How does the movie? Because I still think the movie works, even though there's like this weird disconnect between like this I wholesomeness because, and this like extreme violence. I think probably because even though the the drug metaphor is so heavy handed, it never comes out right and says it. You know, it's it's still. It's as heavy-handed as you can be without literally. Yeah, it, yeah. It's all, yeah. yeah. But I also think that because it's about a silly monster who is shaped like a piece of crap, it's easy to kind of, you know, oh, throw it, throw it off. I guess. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like the the person who's stoned enough could watch that whole movie and not see the drugs at all. <laughs> Just completely missed the point. Yeah. You're like, man, <laughs> I, probably, we gotta get high and watch that again. I love that album, dude. He's hilarious. <laughs> Which is probably the most damning critique of drug addiction you can get. If you're on drugs, you won't even know that it's horrible. And I kind of noticed, too, watching this time, that there's... Uh, it's I don't I don't I can't say for sure that it's intended, but there's an implied criticism of 1980s New York in just the way in which the environment that the whole movie takes place is mm -hmm. New York. And um, there's, it's the type of place where a guy can leave a body on the subway with people <laughs> watching him and no one says subway. anything or cares. And people can shoot guns at people and they're just like, like all right, I'm out of here. I'm not going to help you. But turn away. I understand what you're trying to say. When that one, the one scene where he's he puts Elmer on his neck right before he goes in the club and there's just that homeless guy just getting drunk right next to him. And the homeless guy's kind of sobbing quietly. Yeah. Like, oh really yeah, they never explain that. It's so sad. Yeah. And, and also he's not only a homeless man sobbing on the street, but he's a homeless man sobbing on the street outside of a club called Hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Adding another layer to his sadness. <sighs> yeah, and there's a lot of stuff like that in Basket Case where he's just like, really, like, New York, I, I, I'm Based on what I've heard, New York was not always the nice place it is now. <laughs> really? Yeah. And it's there's very much like that Bernie gets uh, like uh, I like I can't believe what what kind of shit I have to deal with type of attitude about New York, where um, just like that I, they, they have like the killers loose newspaper but there's no indication of any panic and or even any police work being done really yeah police show right. at the end and that's it that's right. like... well and also this is a little bit of trivia but the policeman in the movie is actually the director's brother that makes sense yeah. <laughs> like doesn't that work well he's like here's a bit part that doesn't matter i like how he gives <laughs> the, the police mo the moral character the the moral character to his brother yeah that's true it's very sweet. Basket <laughs> case. Brothers. Two brothers. Two brothers. Um, so one of the other things I found that the director has said about his movies is that he can't appreciate things like Mystery Science Theater or 
things that make fun of his movies or exploitation movies because the whole point of those movies is to shock and it's not necessarily about creating something that's a masterpiece. Yeah. That's very clear. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. totally clear. But I do think that this movie... Um, Shows it, skill. Yeah, it, it is. It's not yeah. a terribly made movie. Yeah. Any. yeah. I think it's a definite improvement from Basket Case. For sure. Well, and exploitation by... by by large, is a very disreputable genre where nobody tries to make a, a quality film. I think, I honestly, probably the best-known trash film and the best-made one is, like, Cannibal Holocaust. Ugh. Something like that, where it's just, like, a movie that's not even... There's, there's no... It's a purely masochistic experience. There's no joy brought to the, the film at all. I think you're the only one of the three of us who've seen it. Oh, and I, oh, yeah. I, I never... That's the only time I've watched a movie with, like, five grown men and listened to them all cry. <laughs> 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 Just because it's so... It's, it's bad. And it really... It, it's done in a way where it, like, lulls you into a false sense of security early on so that it really hits you hard. You really told me about the turtle scene, and so now I'll never see that yeah, movie. Yeah, don't ever. Don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so in this movie, I mean, it's just weird to see, like, he uses dolly shots mm -hmm. and tracking. There's a couple, like jib and crane shots in well, here. Well, the special effects are really good. Yeah, The makeup, when he, when Elmer is attacking someone and he's basically halfway through their skull, it looks pretty good. I mean, there's some parts where it's clearly just makeup all over. <laughs> oh, but, <duh>. yeah. <laughs> but I think they do a really good job of making it pretty realistic. And um, I even wrote this down while we were watching it, but the scenes where Brian is laying in his bed and he's first having those hallucinations yeah. from the drugs and he's looking at the ceiling and he's looking at his ceiling light and it's in the shape of a circle and it starts morphing into an eyeball and a bunch of different things. It reminded me a lot of Jordan Belson. Yeah, wow. Because of all the circular themes and the blues and the colors going in and out. Yeah, well, and it's really experimental just on the fact that six minutes into a movie, we're introduced to a totally dialogueless uh, drug scene, but we have no idea that the character's on drugs. Nothing has been yeah. shown to indicate... The monster hasn't he, been shown. He has, yeah, he hasn't... We don't even know what has happened to Brian yet. We've seen, like, a little bit of blood, and that's it. And it, and it indicates, like, watching it now, you see that he's... You, you see he's having a headache, and because they show, like, oh, the yeah. flashing bright white light, and he's crawling through, and it, like, overwhelms mm. the screen, he cringes, and then he gets into his bed, and that cool blue liquid starts flowing right. in and he's like smiling and relaxed and it flows over his whole body and there's that terrible green screen <laughs> shot of his arm dangling <laughs> off yeah. the bed and, uh, except for that green screen shot the scene is really it is really yeah. well done yeah. it's good and yeah and like they do it all without dialogue and they just really really weird for this genre they trust the audience to <laughs> go along with it <laughs> especially because like, later in the movie they have that huge exposition scene it really drives home how weird the exposition it's scene so is weird. it doesn't even fit the movie <laughs> but yeah they uh frank hedenlotter really does he did not need to try as hard as he did and it just shows that he kind of like what did you say the budget was it was uh it was nine hundred thousand yeah so nine hundred thousand dollars in in 1988 and this was shot on film and so that oh yeah like 
they basically, they would have had to put all of their budget into special effects and making sure they had a good, like, camera crew, and that's it. Like, they, they, they didn't put it towards the end. No, that's for God, sure. no. <laughs> I think that it's time for us to talk about the scene. The scene. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Do you, do, do you, you set it up? Yeah, yeah set it up. Oh, I, I, get, you know the I get the honor to yeah. set it up. Um, so, as we've explained, uh, Aylmer attacks people by eating their brains, and he also gives Brian a drug um, that helps him forget when he attacks people. So, Brian goes to this, he gets all drugged up, and he goes to this club. He goes to hell. He goes to, <laughs> he goes he goes to, hell. to hell, a club named Hell, and he is terribly dancing. Well, he's, he's he first goes up to a speaker and is like <laughs> orgasmically rubbing the speaker and like listening, like moaning into it. And that and, and this woman sees him and she's wearing a leather corset that's all very loosely very tied. Very <laughs> It's almost not tied, if you will, and. Uh, she goes out to him, pulls him away from the speaker. She wants all that. She she's like, that. let's dance. And she's even like, wow, you're really fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think she says, are you doped? I think yeah, that's, that's what the she line. says. Are you some weird you 80s doped? star? Are you doped? And she he pulls says, him away. He says nothing. Yeah. He like never well, I, think, I think he giggles like incoherently and then <laughs> he like, giggles and then he says, You're beautiful. No, that's right. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and she says, What? And he goes, You're beautiful. He says it again, just like that, too. So they start dancing, whereas uh, actually she's dancing and he's jumping up and down. And somehow they move from the dance floor out into the alley or it's the, almost like a, yeah, a it's, rooftop, I guess. It's an alley. I think it's it's, just, alley, it's yeah. like another, it's not the alley they enter the club in. It's, it's just not some where, other It's other. not yeah. where the crying hobo is. It's, <laughs> it's the alley. other side of the building, okay? <laughs> so, uh, Brian and this leather corset woman are in the alley, and sh- they're kind of kissing. They're not really kissing, because he leans up against the wall, and he's like, Oh, he's well, like, kind of like, you know, he's in her neck. He's kind of in her neck, but he, yeah. like, really quickly looks like he's having, like, a, a heroin withdrawal. I mean, <laughs> right, so like, his eyes are closed, he's sweaty and pale, and yeah, she's he, like, she even says, like, don't pass out on me now, and and then starts, like, yeah. grabs- She's essentially trying to rape him, and so she uh, slowly gets down on her knees, unzips his pants, and she's like, oh, somebody's excited. No, what she says is, like, I feels like you got a real monster. (laughs) (laughs) The only on-the-nose line of dialogue that's not about drugs. It's Oh, Oh my God, I forgot about that. As she said, uh, it feels like there's a monster in here, I... Actively yelled, boo! <laughs> <laughs> we resist. You know. Yeah. I'm sure that that Frank Hemmenlotter thought of that line and, like, high-fived himself. Yeah. He was like, yes, I did it! I got it! <laughs> Late at night in his, like, five-by-five-foot New York apartment. <laughs> like, with that's just a dance. Actually, he probably called his brother and was like, I got a great part for you, but also, listen to this! <laughs> but, okay, so... She's unzipping his pants, and it seems like she's about to to blow him. And, of course, Aylmer reliably <laughs> pops right out into her mouth, and 
he starts eating her brains, but it looks like well, she is giving... Well, and Brian puts his hands on her head. Yeah. So that, yeah, it looks like he's, like, forcibly fucking her face. Right. <laughs> yeah, like basically. Yeah. But he's not. It's not his penis. It is Aylmer. Yeah. And Aylmer is uh, being... Uh, I guess just sucked on by this girl, but she's trying to escape, but she's again doing the thing where she's moving her hands really slowly back and forth like, ah, ah, help me. Like she's like ah. a butterfly trying to flap away from the situation. <laughs> ah, this monster's in my mouth eating my brains, but I can't move my arms fast enough to yeah, get away. Right. <laughs> she gives up a bad fight. And they put, they show like close-ups of her like mouth moving back and forth. Yeah. It's like a very, it's like a yeah. And there's it's, a corn syrup on Elmer, so there's like a drop of what looks like saliva. Yeah. They like really well, and, just... And at a point... They, at a point, they milked she, it to speak. From yeah. And at a point, there's blood coming out of her mouth as he's going in and out of her mouth. It is definitely a blowjob scene. Yeah. But, uh... So let's talk, like... Yeah. <laughs> what, what do we think about this scene? Because, like, it's apparently, according to the Wikipedia article... Yes, also, according to IMDb, it said that much of the crew for the movie walked out during the scene, (laughs) when they were filming the scene. But it also said in the IMDb trivia that a similar scene happens in Basket Case and people walked out. But I couldn't remember what scene that is. Well, what happens in Basket Case is worse, I would say, than this. Because, like we said, it's not a rape scene in Brain Damage. Yeah. It's a murder scene that happens to have Look all like of the po- appearances of sexuality. Yeah. Right? Um, but in brain damage, I mean, sorry, in basket case, what happens is the main character's girlfriend, or like that girl he's like sleeping with, she, uh, Belial kills her, and what the main character walks in on him like fucking her corpse. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I couldn't remember what the scene was. Yeah, I would, that makes sense that people walked out on that. Yeah. So, yeah, hats off to you. So, brain damage is definitely like, like he's like, all right, I'm going to reel it back a little bit. <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> I guess for me, the this kind of goes back to what I was saying about watching this movie again. Like, I I don't really ever need to see that scene again. I don't really need to see a monster blowjob scene ever again. That's at... Speak for yourself. <laughs> I am speaking for <laughs> And please continue. But at the same time, I don't think that scene is as terrible as I think I first thought it was when I first saw the movie. I... Because on one side, she's getting murdered, and on the other side, she was trying to rape him. So it's like... Yeah, they, they yeah. really found... Because there's so many 80s... I think it's like practically a trait of 80s movies where women are punished for their sexuality. Yes. yes. And, it's, and so in their scene, it almost seems like it could... That scene could very easily play out that way in Brain Damage. But it very explicitly has the elements of her taking advantage of him mm-hmm. and he never consents he basically is too fucked up Drugged to up. consent yeah. and it like it goes through the trouble of setting that up yeah. and so it just is like it's a gross scene but it's not 
morally reprehensible, except but on the level of... Then again, the, <laughs> the consent issue is the only thing yeah. that really saves... Yeah, like, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think yeah. that if that they had laid that out, then that scene would have been way worse yeah. for to watch Agreed. again. And so again, like, <laughs> again, we're talking, like, for exploitation, the amount of skill and, like, accidental care that's going into stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you know that. what? The, I will say this. The writing in that movie is pretty good. Yeah. Except for the huge exposition scene that we keep talking about. <laughs> Aylmer lore. <laughs> where we learn about the history of Aylmer. Um, other than that, I think that the writing is pretty good, and I think it's really thoughtful. Yeah. It's on the nose, but like, think of like the opening of a Law & Order episode, where they have like those bullshit dun, dun. generic conversations yeah, that yeah. like, oh my god, I found a body. There's no generic conversation in this whole movie. That's Every, That's everything ties back into the core metaphor, or is something like the opening scene where the brother takes the girl, uh, the girlfriend out uh, to the concert so that later when they like they have sex, it's at least been set up that they've yeah. been spending time together. And you mentioned that like a plot got cut out where he, he like he has yeah, a, there's a, a subplot that was cut out where Brian somehow received a split lip mm-hmm. before he meets Aylmer, and that's why Brian has a split split lip for the right. whole movie. Yeah, and but in like a normal exploitation movie or even just like a normal Hollywood movie, that would be like the ten minutes of. Here's the world, right. here are the characters, here's how they're related, and now we introduce the plot. But instead, the way the movie starts is it instantly throws you in the deep end. Like, the, 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 yeah. you see old people with brains, they're going to feed to something, and then cut to the drug sequence, and you're just also, in. You're in the movie. They're going to feed to something that lives in a bathtub yeah. full of water. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing that they never... That they Okay, I'll, I'll go... I'll go back to my statement about the writing being good and, and make a caveat. <laughs> they never explain how Aylmer gets from the, that older couple to Brian, but they go through the trouble of explaining the history of Aylmer. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I, and I feel like the fact that they don't explain how Aylmer escapes from his It's original, not that big of a right, deal. Right, it's not important at all. Yeah. Like, you can just, like, suspend your disbelief. Yeah. Right? Somehow yeah. he got into this other yeah, part exactly. in the building. Right? It's fine. We don't need to see that. It's, which And the fact that they would, like as you said, throw us into the deep end really skillfully. Yeah, yeah. it's not it's it's not really jarring at all. It's intriguing, and you you're drawn in, mm-hmm. and you're like, and actually the reveal of Aylmer is prolonged like, yeah. a little bit. You, you know? don't so, see him until after all the hallucination scenes. Right, exactly. Yeah, that. so all that stuff happens. But that's which which makes the, the bizarre exposition like mid movie by his previous owner so. Yeah, just a egregious. Sh- just a strange fuck up. Like it's just it like a very strange fuck up. Well, and I, I had to write down the line because it just like to as an example of how like purple the prose gets during that section, where uh, the old guy says uh, that he says he says uh, Elmer, and uh, Brian's like, "You named him Elmer," and he says, "No, Elmer, A Y L M E R, meaning all inspiring famous one." <laughs> 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 I really think like the shots yes. of the African mass in the beginning were just to set up that this guy is like a worldly culture person <laughs> who could deliver this kind of exposition. <laughs> it's like it's really weird. I think they really do set up this exposition. Yeah, movie, which yeah. Also, work. the idea that he would name what what does it mean again? All inspiring famous one. All inspiring. <laughs> they want to name this bumpy blue dildo. All inspiring. <laughs> 
<laughs> famous one. Yep. It really is the only Perfect egregious. Match. It's the only egregiously bad part of the movie. Yeah. Which is good, for, like considering every other movie this man has yeah. made. Yeah. <laughs> and just like the low bar of like exploitation <laughs> yeah. filming. We definitely talked over all of the exploitation. Oh no, I, I don't remember anything except the all inspiring famous yeah. one. Oh yeah, it's 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 the only scene in the movie that I never remember. Like I when it comes up, I'm like, oh yeah, shit, we gotta get through this. <laughs> Two minutes. It's it's, it's very long. Yeah. It's, so I want to go back to the women of this film because I was just thinking about it and both of the women in this film who show any sexuality die. But and there are three women total in the movie. Oh, you're right, actually. <laughs> well, and the, but the third woman is a drug addict and she dies yeah. probably because she's a drug Because of her addiction. Yeah. Because right. of her addiction. Right. In Frankenhooker... That movie is all about murdering sexually active women. <laughs> With drugs. <laughs> With drugs. <laughs> so I'm detecting a theme. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, also, like, in, yeah. You, as you explained in Basket Case, the woman who is the girlfriend of the main character, she dies, and she's sexually assaulted after she dies. Yeah. At least there, and I'm not going to defend the necrophilia in that movie, but... <laughs> Thank it, you for the, prefacing that. The context in which it happens is... Belial is jealous, okay. and so it's like, he's a monster, too. He's like a killer yeah. that has been killing people the whole movie, and he... Yeah, I like, remember he kind of looks like a Cabbage Patch doll that melted in the microwave. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a Cabbage Patch kid that had Hulk hands melt on his <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> I just was thinking about it, and I thought it was a weird theme that all the sexually active women end up dead yeah. in the movie. But, like I said... At least they go through the trouble. Like we already discussed the blowjob yeah. woman, but when the other girlfriend dies, her immediately before she dies, she has this big speech about like, I I knew what you were going through, I would have helped you, and she's like really extremely sympathetic. Nothing right. she's saying is bad. You're not trying to hate her. You're really hearing her side. It's like the only time in the movie where you really get to. There's like a couple moments where she's like, like you see the effect of Brian disappearing and, and essentially ending the relationship. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's, she's sad, sad a lot. She's distraught. But, like, when they do this, they do this, give her this, her speech in the movie that really gets you in her head and you know what she's thinking, and they she dies immediately after, and it's the least sensational death. Yes. You, it's a kiss, and you don't see, you see a little bit of blood, but they don't, they don't heighten the music, they just keep it quiet and just, like, really let it sit with you so that it's, like, it's basically the moment where you're like, yeah, he's gone. It's too far. He's, he's destroyed everything in his life right. officially. Yeah. I, I do agree. Um, her speech is like <laughs> way low in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that scene, like, it's like the sound effects and music are far higher as it's like the growls of Aylmer as he like pe pokes out of yeah. Brian's oh, mouth. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely cheesiness to it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah Aylmer yeah. almost looks like fire coming out of his mouth in those scenes. Yeah, it must have been like some kind of I don't know how I, they did it. I think it's special I think it's a rear projection where they they had they just did like the claymation effects and then filmed them in front of a rear projection of the movie mm. or something. Or maybe it's just, like, that bad green screen again. But yeah. it just... It's clearly right. a special yeah, effect. Right. Yeah, right. It's, like, supposed to be blue, but you look red for yeah. some reason. I... Okay, so... I am taking a color theory class right now, and 
I want to talk about how blue this movie is. Yeah, it's very blue. Because blue is not necessarily a monster color. No, or a color I made a that you associate yeah. with horror. It's, it's like, actually a color that you usually associate with security yeah, and safety. Well, yeah, and yeah. And like, I said, like I said before, in the opening scene when he has his drug hallucination, the blue washes over right, him yeah. to indicate the pleasure of the drug. Yeah. And his room is blue, and there's like... And Aylmer's blue. Yeah. Or ish. Yeah, there's blue <laughs> qualities to him. But um, yeah, they really do try... I mean, it's not perfect use of color. It's kind of just like but that like... I wonder if they were just it's, like, yeah, blue. blue it's closer good. to like, I know who killed me's use of blue. And just like, <laughs> whatever, just throw it in every scene. But it's it's still like when they need to, it's a great choice for a color to associate with drug use mm-hmm. because it does have that calming, serene quality. And everything else about the drug the experience of the movie is so horrifying that they have to do they they at least do lip oh. service to the pleasurable aspect. So do you think they chose blue because it it kind of calms down all the horrific scenes in the movie? I think it's also like a certain irony in the use of blue Mm. in the movie. Um, You know, like, the experience of the drug, like you've all been saying, is like very calming and like Mm -hmm. euphoric. Um, but that's only on appearances, right? And this, this, this sensation of it, like you're in the moment, you see it, and you're feeling the drug, it's great. Yeah. But in reality, it's this horrible thing that's destroying your body. <laughs> it's actually echoed in the way that Aylmer inserts the drug into his brain. Well, like, and he actually... Can't, he can't see the horrible monster that he acted That's is. true, and now that I think about it, when Brian is hallucinating and we actually do get a glimpse of his hallucinations, he's not seeing anything that's blue. Yeah. He's seeing bright colors like orange and, and green and pink. Yeah. And even when he ends up talking to Barbara on the subway at the end of the movie, she is like this pinkish green uh, filter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Like one of the filters from 2001 when he's landing <laughs> yeah. on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like the, the invert color filter in Photoshop. Yeah. It's not, it's not a consistent color palette in the movie. Yeah. But, um, well, the blue is pretty consistent. Yeah, but... I, I guess I would have hoped that it would have extended more into his, in, like, throughout his hallucination. Yeah. yeah. Right? His hallucina- it first hallucination is very blue, and then the other ones, it's like, whee! Yeah, it doesn't have a... show. He's no lich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have the mastery of, uh, like, Brian De Palma, who always uses red, white, and blue right. in all of his movies. God bless him, man. <laughs> America. America! Yep. Um, we should also maybe talk about the weird, so, obviously, the main theme subtext in the movie is drug addiction. Yes. There's also a weird other one about like <laughs> gay sexuality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like it's 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 not consistent throughout the movie, but, but it's so obvious and yeah. But what do you think he's trying to say with I that? I don't know. Gay we subtext. should talk about it because yeah. I'm confused. Yeah. It's genuinely the only element that I I have no theory. It's on. baffling. And granted, I did never picked it out until you pointed out yeah. this time, and then it was just uh, it's very clear. But it's it's sometimes yeah, it sometimes comes up in like scenes where people get murdered, but yeah. other times 
like the most egregious one is when he goes to the shower and there's that like excessively muscular guy <laughs> yeah. who's naked and rubbing lathering himself up he's like and, what's wrong with you dude but he's not but he's also like not mean or anything he's just no. like hey man are you all right right like, he's like washing himself like a guy yeah. <laughs> and, he's um, got a great mustache that guy in the yeah, shower really, really great mustache and then and, and wait, he's but, wearing a gold chain in the mustache <laughs> in, in the, the shower chain, i was trying to like Dis- oh, I couldn't, I couldn't yeah, discern what it was. But and when he's done, he's like, "Yeah, it's all yours," and yeah. just lets him go. And yeah. Then, but th- yeah, what are some of the other like? Well, the that- fact that Aylmer is phallic shaped. Yeah. That's that's yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a big. We've one. said it before, but let me emphasize: Aylmer <laughs> looks like a. He like, looks like a bumpy blue. A bumpy blue delta. Yeah. yeah, he really does. Um, for me, so yeah, the shower scene's very obvious but for like for me the really obvious scene is right before he enters club hill aylmer he's i mean he's out in the town he, he needs his fix or whatever and they jump into this alley and brian for some reason leans against <laughs> the brick wall, the brick wall. <laughs> like very like it's very obviously like Whatever, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Aylmer... And, and, then, and then Aylmer penetrates him from behind. Yes. You know? Oh. So it's very... Like, for me, it's, like, so We obvious. could call it, he's drug coming. <laughs> yes, and, like, whenever whenever Brian receives a drug, it's it's like he's orgasming. Yeah. He moans and the eyes... His eyes His eyes on the back of his head. He's like, oh, you know? Like, <laughs> um, the fact that this drug is orgasmic is very clear. Um, so there's that scene in the alley, which is like kind of echoes like illicit, like well, secret like, gay a, sex. There's a like, lot of people in their underwear in this movie. Or not people, men. Men yeah. in their underwear. A lot of men like in their even underwear. even his brother Mike is in his underwear. There's that, there's that shot where he's like through the window and it's his butt sticking <laughs> up like lit by moonlight and he answers the phone. Something like that. No, Barbara, he's not here. So it's like I, I I don't know what he's trying to do with these like there's very a couple clear other echoes. there's it's a couple deliberate. other examples though I'm trying to remember some well there's of another them. like the uh, <laughs> other weird one is so I mean just give a little away a bit of oh, the plot yeah. um, Brian has a girlfriend Barbara which we've talked about Brian lives with his brother Mark oh yeah or Mike 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 excuse me Mike has has a long time crush on Barbara and when Barbara and Brian become estranged. Mike kind of moves in, and um, they they begin having sex in their apartment, in Brian and Mike's apartment. Which really good. I just mentioned Mike has the living room. He just like sleeps in the living room. <laughs> Mike just that's where he's fucking room. his brother's girlfriend. Right. Is it's a room. very weird scene. So while they're fucking, Brian's actually in his own room and is <laughs> awake and is listening to his brother fuck his girlfriend, and it shows no emotion. He's not bothered by this in the slightest. And then, so like most of the scene, it's like, it's just like above the bed, like a shot of Brian's face, like looking up at the ceiling, right? And then the the camera moves to the foot of the bed, like... Yeah, you can see all of him. Right, see all of his body. Feet up, Brian's body. And Aylmer, like, emerges (laughs) from, (laughs) from beneath the covers... Like, Brian is, is getting a very large erection. Mm-hmm. Immediately afterwards, he has more drugs and has a, like, very vivid hallucination of 
eating his girlfriend's brains. <laughs> after he has after a threesome. He takes, after, well, not really. He like takes takes his girlfriend back. But did you notice in that hallucination that he has these blue... Right, he's becoming Aylmer a little bit. Well, and did you also notice that when they, like, when his, when Mike, in the dream, when Mike is making out with um, Barbara, and he comes, and Brian comes and grabs Barbara, he grabs Mike. He, like, puts his arms around (laughs) all of them. Yeah. Well, I just think it's, yeah, basically he's becoming Aylmer. And he's got those weird Aylmer bumps all over his body in the dream. And what? then he ends up eating her brains. And he wakes up. And that's when he goes and talks to them in his robot voice. Guys, you need to leave. Right. I do not want you <laughs> so, to get hurt. Right. So immediately afterwards, he warns both of them, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Aylmer's controlling me. You know, I'm, I, he may lead me to you and he'll kill you. Right. Yeah. So please get away. He did warn Barbara and she didn't listen. She so. did not listen and, and dies. But it's so like the hallucination. It's like you could read that as... I mean, it's so... Obviously, it's, it's a euphoric drug and you see things that you want to see. If that's the case... He, he wants his girlfriend to die. Yeah. So that she doesn't have to be with this woman anymore. I mean, like, you could you could read that. I yeah, you could. That. Considering all the other, like, Or maybe it's, he want, he's killing his <laughs> girlfriend in the hallucination movie. because she just fucked his brother. True. That's another reason. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also the other, um, another, uh, gay scene or or gay reference is when he's in that hotel trying to withdraw from withdraw from Aylmer's drugs. He goes in the hallway to try and find someone for Aylmer to eat and there's those two guys that come in and the one guy's like, Oh yeah, today's you know, the weather something you know, they're just talking <laughs> yeah. about stuff and then they go into a hotel room together. And, you know, I got Yeah, I didn't read that as gay at all. I mean, well, you can make yeah. an assumption. Yeah. I mean, there's just, like, the little things everywhere. And also the scene where um, he goes to the restaurant with Barbara, and they're eating the spaghetti, and then the spaghetti turns into those little brains. But the brains kind of look like testicles. Maybe. Maybe. And then, like, the brains are, like, breathing. And all yes. the very, and the breathing is, like, kind of, like... I mean, you could be, like, it's, like, kind of sexual. It's yeah. men voices. But he doesn't want to eat it after that. Right, that's true. It's, what we're getting at is that there's very confusing, like, echoes of of gay sexuality and gay sex throughout the movie that don't, I don't think he's making a larger comment about it. It's just kind of like a weird... I think, I think it's because it's 80s New York. Because I'm thinking of this, I, I, I didn't watch this recently, but it reminds me of Cruising. And cruising is very much about like the yeah. New York gay S and M scene, yeah. and that was eight years before this. So presumably, in the eight years since, it would at least be a little more mainstreamed. Yeah. And and I don't know necessarily if he's commenting on it, but in that part of New York where it's like very poor and broken down, you're te- you tend to have like the more ostracized uh, groups living there. Yeah. And so maybe I don't know. The just my guess is that because he's like trying to be like well yeah this is the part of new york that this is set in there are homoerotic elements because there are homoerotic elements in new york i mean that's unless i i'd have to watch the movie again thinking about it to see if there's like an actual argument that he's trying to make because yeah. from what we've listed it's like all over the place <laughs> it's, it's, it's very confused yeah which is weird because like which, 
the drug message is so on point throughout, yeah. and then there's these other things that are, are, are not. What is the, okay, going back to the drug message, what does the ending communicate I would, I about? I really do want to talk about the Yeah, ending. because what, if there is a, a, a drug message, or a message that the, the director's trying to communicate about drug use, what does the ending have to do with that message? Well, I, there's, I mean, the whole, like, the... We kind of have to describe the ending. Yeah, okay. Who wants to... Wait, you want to, you want to take it? <laughs> I, can, I, I love the I love the ending of this movie. Oh yeah! So, I mean, it's I see it as basically the movie follows its its drug theme to basically to its conclusion. Basically, by the end of the movie, the the, the climax of the movie is um, Brian has just inadvertently killed his girlfriend and is going to an alley to discard of discard his clothes that are covered with his girlfriend's blood. Um, during which the two people who owned Aylmer at the beginning of the movie appear and demand Aylmer back. And they have a gun this time. And they have time. a gun this time. <laughs> Needless to say, <laughs> a lot of brain eating occurs. <laughs> and Aylmer is, seems like he's killed. The other two people are killed. But... During that scene... During that scene... So, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. back up a little bit. Aylmer thinks that he's killed these other two people and is now back up on Brian's neck, giving him the drug. So that Brian can forget what he just so saw. So forget, like, the <laughs> horrific murders he's just seen. Um, actually, the man that owned Aylmer is not dead. He resurrects, and as Aylmer is administering the drug, grabs Aylmer and squeezes him to death. <laughs> but by squeezing him, squeezes all the juice drug... Yeah, out of into, his needle tongue. Out of his needle tongue into Brian's brain, effectively giving him an overdose. Uh -oh. Right? So after that... The man dies. Aylmer, it seems like he's dead. And yeah, he squiggles around on the ground for a long time. And <laughs> it's a like very long death. Blue scene. ink. <laughs> After which, Brian begins to freak, <laughs> freak out. Blue goo is bursting out of his head. He has that little like snowman. It's like this is <laughs> his like brain is literally like about to burst out of his yeah. skull. It seems he has a cyst. Some kind of yeah. Yeah. snowman cyst. Yeah. Snowman cyst. I like that. <laughs> so basically, once Aylmer dies, the movie just blasts <laughs> into the next dimension. <laughs> Brian starts like freaking out. He opens the door of his apartment and just goes, ah! And, just screams. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, Mike is there and he's like, what's going on? Even though he he's like dripping blue liquid yeah, he's on got, his head. He's got blue liquid dripping down his face, but he also has a giant snowman cyst <laughs> on his head. But Mike's like, what's going on? I don't understand. <laughs> so, so he runs into the bathroom. And, and, like, looks at this horrible thing that's protruding from his skull. He grabs the gun that the couple had, aims it at his lobe. The camera cuts to outside the apartment. You People are gathering because they the finally realize that there's murders happening. <laughs> also, the police finally show <laughs> up. The police show. are there finally. They hear a gunshot. It cuts back into the apartment. People have, like, burst in. They're seeing where the gunshot's coming from. Um, and then the final scene in the movie is... Brian with his skull blown off, but rather than blood, there's this like bright, <laughs> bright light. light emitting from his head, flashing lights. 
etc. He's and become lady. a disco machine. Yeah, it's 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 a very psychedelic, bizarre <laughs> scene, and basically the movie just zooms in on the lights and the lightning that is like gushing out of Brian's head, and then just stops. <laughs> Got it. It's it's. I, I love that. Yeah, I, I yeah. yeah, what a good ending. What an avant-garde choice to just be like, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's that's what I really I love. I basically I, my assumption with that ending is that it's like a drug overdose suicide. Like he's realized what right. he's done. Right. Um, he he goes to take the drug, and it's I mean it happens. It doesn't happen as like. In like the very literal, literal metaphor way where like he squeezes it or anything but he gets the overdose and he, when he goes back to his apartment he shoots himself right, right, like right, take, right. he yeah. takes a gun and shoots himself and instead of the movie being like well this has been a really fun ride but uh, drug addiction ends in suicide and we should all take the seriously oh, yeah, right seeing, it has like a, seeing brian like laying on the ground dead which yeah. would be a bummer they're like let's end this movie on like the craziest possible <laughs> note of like just I, and like they take like the more like he fried his brain approach to yeah. the metaphor and yeah. just like right. show the it blue there. the blue sploosh changed his brain into a giant light orb. Yeah, but like, and Brian's still alive though. Yeah, though yeah. <laughs> no, he's just blown he's his skull off. He's at least standing. And he's just kind of like he's like, oh. <laughs> it's like he's poking around at the light <laughs> emerging from it. What so does weird. Mike say something? Is he like Brian? What's going on? No, everyone's just like whoa. They're like shocked. <laughs> Confused. I mean, there's really nowhere for the movie to go after that. Yeah. That wouldn't take hours more to resolve. <laughs> yeah. I am glad that there isn't a brain damage to... Yeah. Oh, there yeah. couldn't be. That would definitely ruin the, the ending. And that's what's great, that they kill Elmer. They're yeah. Like, if they, if they would have let him live or sneak off, it would just, like, it really... I love that they, like, just... It's its its own thing, and it, you kind of start in media res, but they, like, conclusively end it. Yeah. Where, like... No matter what, Brian isn't going to get better, and Bernie <laughs> Gilbert is dead, and the only person who really escapes unscathed is Mike, but barely. Well, but Mike essentially loses his brother and the girl he had just Oh, yeah, the, yeah, so barely. <laughs> he, gets, he gets a bad break. <laughs> unscathed is used very loosely. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else had their brains eaten out or blown out, yeah. so he got off all right, I think. Yeah. All right, well, is there anything else that you guys, any last thoughts you want to touch on? Any little details that you want to mention? Um, or just no. little things that you don't... Well, uh, I would like to give a shout out to Slam Wedge House. <laughs> Who plays a biker dude, right? Yeah, biker punk, in, biker punk in hell, the bar. Slam Wedge House will be the name of my first unborn son. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm really happy that the director, this director was given almost a million dollars to make a movie, which I think is just is so baffling. This would never, this movie would never get made yeah. at this point. I mean, like, it would get made, I don't, well, I don't know. I need a backup. And just, I marvel that a movie like this got this much money and obviously had a lot of people behind it mm -hmm. and, like, put their time and energy into making this wonderful, bizarre Yeah extremely violent <laughs> movie. Um, it just, it, it's, that's why bad movies are so special because you always know that like so many people have like put so much time and energy and money into them and then like they created this shit. And this one's a bad movie in certain ways but it's also like very delightful. And it's a, a secret treasure. Yeah, yeah. it is. A, it's, it's a 
Or it's, a I'm glad. I'm very glad. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I, I think I was just trying to think throughout while we're recording this, like what is we always try to come up with like a couple like educational things of like if you're gonna teach a class and show one of these movies no matter how good or bad they are what could you illustrate and i think this movie is like a really amazing illustration of how practical effects trump cg effects oh, every absolutely time. because if elmer wasn't a physical thing if it was an actual built object with ar the little articulation that it has and it the little be, joint that he has in, in his yeah, neck that allows him to wobble back and forth it would not only move the movie into being a full cartoon which would real i feel like if it was it, it really balances well between being too silly and too gross and that like the the having that real gross creature there keeps it balanced mm -hmm. and the movie a big part of why the movie is so memorable, especially for me, is that it's really repulsive. And <laughs> like, like even if you're not scared by horror, a good horror movie repulses you in some fundamental way. And it wouldn't be repulsive if it was just like a cartoon that you knew wasn't in the scene with the yeah. actors, and uh, and you just like didn't actually have to watch it stick to people and wiggle around and. Well, it, and there's even it, it. There's so many scenes in this movie where Brian picks up Aylmer. Yeah. And so the fact that he actually has to pick up this slimy blue dildo yeah. and put it on the back of his neck is, by default, disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that if he was grabbing nothing, and then they CGI'd, you know, something in, that wouldn't be as gross. And, yeah, it wouldn't make the, the effect. Or possible. Yeah. Or possible this was 1988. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's true. Note that, but yeah, still, yeah. still. Yeah, just, yeah they, but they, you're right, they could have animated something in or something, you know. True. Or, yeah, or even if just, like, speaking in terms of, like, historically, if there, if this movie had been made in a different time when they had the option for it, it couldn't really beat the grossness that's brought on by that real, very textured prop that has to be touched and you it like it, the i feel like the drug message that's trying to come across and a lot of elements of the plot wouldn't work unless we have that prop to repulse us it really makes it sink in on a subconscious level in a yeah. way that nothing else no other special effect could really do right and no that's i completely agree that's really good point. i think the other thing this movie teaches is Frank Henenlotter wrote and directed this movie, and I think that he, he, I read a lot about him before we watched this movie, and he grew up in New York City going to, you know, um, watch a ton of exploitation movies, and I think that really studying films and knowing what you want to do is important before you try to write and direct a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You agree with that? Yeah. That's a, that's, that's a pretty obvious one, but... Yeah, it, well, he's... He, he, he kind of proves in this movie that he's an expert in exploitation movies. Well, and really, based on kind of our early discussion, Frank Henenlotter is an auteur. In, in yeah. the grossest, crassest sense of the word, but he has... He is a director who has a style that and he always comes back to it. And he always writes his own movies... So that helps, but he has his 
things that he likes and he has his obsessions and it's interesting to see in such a disreputable genre that there are people who are like they're doing it but they're really trying to do it their own way mm-hmm. and make it something it's not just like he it, he cares about these movies they're not just like empty provocations for Marvel. no yeah yeah absolutely. yeah um Passion, passion projects. Passion projects. Well, appreciation is growing for his work. Definitely. Oh yeah. He made a movie back in 2010. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's still he's still around. He's like 65. He's not even that old. Oh yeah. When I and when I was when I was in college, the the one of the movie theaters I worked at, the head programmer actually went to a retrospective of Frank Hinnelander's films at some some museum in New York. But they actually had him there and they showed all of his movies Man. and the Q&A and had like a, a film critic there to interview him and he's like I don't know if I'd want to watch all his movies yeah, no, they're, not, they're not all good enough but <laughs> well and that's that's a lot of gross content all at once yeah yes I think <laughs> I, I will say this for his movies I think that they need some space in between them they do <laughs> You should watch uh, Basket Case first because once you see any of his other movies, you can't go back. Uh, Basket yeah. Case is too crappy, but it's too interesting to skip. So watch Basket Case and definitely watch Brain Damage. And then if you absolutely love it, watch all the other ones. But Brain Damage is the best. Of Frank and Hooker, I remember Frank- really thinking, was so bizarre. Yeah. Well, I don't remember <laughs> liking it, but I remember thinking it was just absolutely bizarre and and worth watching yeah it's frankenhooker is is i mean brain damage is offensive in its own ways but frankenhooker is just kind of egregiously misogynistic <laughs> yeah. um and that makes it pretty hard to suffer through yeah. brain damage is a bit more i guess not un- not unseemly <laughs> in, in that way yeah but so i guess you everyone here would recommend it definitely okay yeah I would absolutely yeah, I, I'll it. tell people about it. I don't know if I'll recommend it. I mean, you, you need to pick the people to recommend. Yeah. Like, mom and dad, yeah. those <laughs> no. brain damage. I'm not going to tell my sweet no. mother to see this movie. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but I might tell my brother to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, this is, I don't know if this is the note we want to end on, but the main character of this movie, I found out, his the actor, his name is... Uh, Rick Hurst, he is the only living American actor to have been on all four major soap operas for many years. Yeah. Yeah. He was on Days of Our Lives, Guiding Light, Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful, (laughs) and General Hospital. Wow. Wow. I'm glad he had a career. I actually, I think that... During his heyday on these soap operas, my mom was watching them, and so I recognized him. Because I would come home from school, and my mom would be like, oh, I'm watching my, my soaps. My soaps. <laughs> Do your homework. <laughs> Shh, go away. Well, there's your gateway to recommend this to your sweet mom. There you go. My, my mom would love this movie because her favorite soap opera stars. <laughs> if you liked him, you'll love Brain Damage. It's a crossover hit. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I guess then that's it. Uh, We all recommend brain damage. And so, yeah, that concludes this debate. (laughs) Pretty one-sided. But, yeah, uh, I'm Paolo. I'm Carrie. 
I'm Wade. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Wade. Thanks, thanks for, for coming. coming. Oh, this is fun. And uh, participating. We'll definitely have to have you back. I look forward to it. And thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back soon. Adios. Bye. The Secret Cinema is produced and edited by Paolo Corone. All theme songs were performed and recorded by Ricardo Ortiz. Any additional music or samples come from the film covered on this week's episode. All logos and artwork created by Carrie Chafee. You can follow Carrie on Instagram at Carrie Saw This and see more of her artwork at www.carriechafee.com. You can watch Paolo's short films at vimeo.com slash or read more of his ramblings about film at letterbox.com slash The Secret Cinema is a commentary and criticism podcast, and its use of film dialogue and film music for illustrative purposes falls under the fair use provisions of U.S. copyright law. Thanks again for listening.